This is the DTV Digest, the podcast that brings you news and reviews of films which didn't make it to the cinema. And now, here's your host, Mike Parkin. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 79 of the DTV Digest. I'm your host, Mike Parkin, and joining me as usual is Richard Halls. Hello everyone. Good morning, Richard. Um, okay, so episode 79 of the DTV Digest, we bring you all the news and reviews of films which don't make it to the cinema and instead go straight to streaming media, DVD and Blu-ray. This week we've got Death Race 4, Backtrace, Escape Plan 2 and Occupation. Um, the short film we'll be looking at is Blueprint and our throwback will be the werewolf thriller Late Phases. Uh, but before we get into all that, we're going to jump over to the DTV chart. Yes, we're on to the DTV chart once again. Uh, the We've got eight releases this week. This is the chart that was published on the on D- January the 13th. And I'm uh, going to kick right off uh, at position number eight. Uh, he's still sticking in there uh, with his uh, with a gun in his hand. It's Gotti. All right, Mr. Mr. Travolta. Yeah. Yes. And he, and uh, we've spoken quite a lot about this one, so we'll just move straight on to the next one, which is a film we're not going to speak much about now because we're going to talk about it later. Number seven, Death Race Beyond Anarchy. Yay. Little spoiler. <laughs> <laughs> and number six is another very popular release. It's Hurricane. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's been doing, doing the job, isn't it, for quite a while yeah. now. Yeah, it's a holdover, another holdover from last year. And moving on to some of the new releases. Now we're into the top five territory, and it's all going a bit highbrow now because it's the Polish art house film Cold War. Yeah. Okay, so this is a black and white one as well, isn't it? It's a black and white. Uh, it's the same. Uh, Pavel Pavlikovsky, I believe, he did a film called Ida a few years ago, and now he's, right. he's he seems to be he seems to be very fond of doing black and white stuff these days. Okay. But uh, yeah, this was released back in August uh, through Curzon as a as an on-demand and in cinemas kind of thing. So it's built quite a high profile, so not a massive surprise to see it turning up in the chart. Mm-hmm. Uh, at number four, we've got the first of three releases from Signature Entertainment, who uh, seem to be putting out masses of stuff uh, this January. Uh, and this one's one of their holdovers from last year. It's Final Score at number four. Yeah, Batista doing the job. Re- yep. Really good film, really, really enjoyable action, action, sort of you know diehard derivative. But um, yeah, Batista is 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 a bona fide action star now. Yeah, it's gr- good fun film, uh, British action, uh, but with an American star. Uh, the you know the setting's really good, the action's really well done by Scott Mann, and uh, uh, Pierce Brosnan isn't really in it, but in, in contrast to that, we do get a lot of Ray Stevenson, which is Absolutely. really good. Yeah. Uh, moving on to number three, another British movie. It's Dragon Kingdom, also known as uh, something, uh, was it The Dark Kingdom? That's right. And it's the second in the Order of Kings series, which we reviewed the first film, which was Knights of the Damned, uh, a few months ago. Yeah. Now, you know, while you, while you were sorting yourself out, I quickly had a look at the trailer for this. Mm-hmm. And they, they've definitely had a bit of an injection of cash into their production values. Oh right, okay. Um, yeah, this this looks a lot more expensive. There's more sort of creature effects going on. You know, they come across orcs and things like this. By the looks of it, um, it, it does look like a much bigger production than Knights of the Damned was. So yeah, I think I think this one we, we may need to earmark this for the next episode, Rich. Okay, doke. 
Uh, number two, it's the a, a bigger, sort of more high-profile release. Uh, it's a Norwegian film from director Harold Zvart, who's uh, quite well established in Hollywood, doing all sorts of stuff like The Karate Kid with Jackie Chan. Uh, this is The Twelfth Man, which features Jonathan Rhys Myers. I don't know anything about this. Do you know the, what the plot is? Uh, I don't really. I mean, it's a it's a wartime drama. I think it's mm. not not a, you know it's not a big actiony kind of film uh it was one that sort of passed me by a little bit because they put it out into cinemas but i didn't realize it was coming out on the vod and dvd like a few days later so it's one of those sort of strategies the um it looks quite you know i've I've read reviews that say you know it's very well polished but it's just a bit dull you know it's not as engaging as it perhaps could be which might be why you know that it's gone for a dtv although you know, nor, you know, Norwegian films in general, mm. uh, if they're subtitled and stuff, are not not usually put into uh, cinemas very much. Uh, I presume Jonathan Rhys Myers is either speaking in because he seems to be playing a Nazi. He's either speaking in German or or English or you know uh, English with a German accent, sort English of. with German accent or, or something like that. I'm not sure. I'm very curious to check it out though mm. uh, at some point. Um, at number one, no surprise, it's a star-led movie. It's Keanu Reeves in Siberia. I still haven't had a chance to see this, but it's it's definitely on my list um, to watch. I like the trailer for this. It's um, I have a feeling it's it's not. You know, the, the trailer tries to John Wick it up a bit, but um, <laughs> you know, I, I have a feeling that in any sort of action is probably going to be at the tail end of the film. But mm-hmm. I, I like I do like the look of it. I like the sort of noir elements of it. So yeah, hopefully I'm going to check this check this out this week. This was another, this is the third of the signature releases. So they released Final Score, Twelfth Man, and Siberia. What's curious about the the different strategies they take for these films, Final Score was one that they'd got off of, I mean, Sky had bought it for their own distribution first, I think, or in partnership with them. So it was in cinemas and on Sky. Twelfth Man, they've put into a few cinemas just before releasing it on Home, home formats and stuff. Siberia was put into cinemas in November as well as on VOD, same as what was done with Cold War. So the, it, it's quite cute, interesting to look at the chart and see the different the different release patterns that these films have actually had, although yeah. they've all come out on DVD in the last week or so or something. They've actually had different levels of exposure in in cinemas. Yes, uh, to, yeah. And, and, you know, like Final Score, for example, was available to subscribers. And, things. and I can't help but wonder if we might see Netflix do a bit more of this. Could they, they did it with Beast of No Nation. Mm-hmm. They put that into cinemas a bit, but that was only so it could qualify for the Oscars, I believe. But we've not I, really... I, reckon, I reckon Netflix are kicking themselves that they didn't do that with Bird Box. Well, but the Bird Box thing's crazy, isn't it? Everyone's talking about that. Yeah, I mean, we, um, we reviewed it on the on the TSL this week, right? And, uh, and yeah, there's all this weird sort of memes about it. You know, there's some people doing the Bird Box challenge. You I know, sort of spend a day with you blindfolded and all this sort of crap. Um, but yeah, it, it is sort of one of the most talked about films of the year so far. Um, uh, and as a, I mean, I know you've already covered it on Smoking Lamb, but as a, as an aside, because it is essentially a DTV release, but mm. we're not actually covering it. Can you give me a sort of a a brief overview on what you think about it i thought it was really good actually um I, i'm not you, you know my bugbear with the whole in media res thing and this is one of those films that sort of keeps flicking back between past events 
and the present. So, so the present is Sandra Bullock and these two children on this perilous journey on the river um, where they're blindfolded because, you know, whatever's out there, if you happen to see it, it projects onto you your worst fears and it'll either drive you insane or drive you to suicide. Oh, you know, yeah. that's, that's, that's the sort of the threat let, um, that's out there. Um, yeah. So, so not only have you got sort of, you know, people sort of killing themselves, but you've got this sort of almost a cult developing where people have sort of like, you know, looked into whatever this thing is and um, sort of come out the other side a bit totally crazy and, and sort of like demanding that everyone sort of removes their blindfolds. But anyway, so, so that's the present, this journey that they're on, but it keeps going back to like the, from the start of the epidemic and sort of, you know, sort of dipping in over this sort of five-year period. Um, so, you know, the, to begin with, they're in a house with about sort of a dozen people, you know, including sort of John Malkovich, who's one of the best characters in the film. Um, and I, obviously over time, because we know at the end of, you know, when they hit, hit, head on this journey, there's only the three of them left. Mm. So we know that sort of like every time it's going to go back to the past, someone's likely to die, you know, because because that's the sort of points they're sort of jumping back to to sort of show us how they got to this point. But uh, it, it's really well done, um, you know. It's it's more towards a quiet place than it is towards the happening. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Funnily enough, it's just as what you were saying about, I was thinking about the happening. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it does sound a bit like the happening, but. Um, uh, one of the good things about the film is it never actually tells you what's going on. You know, it, it never, never sort of, because, because it happens so quickly, you know, it's not any, it's not as if anyone's going to be able to be, ponder in the media as to what's happening. You know, it's, it's literally in a day it's done. Um, and you know, you've either survived it or you haven't, but yeah, no, it's, it's really good. It's, it's, you know, it does play out a bit like a zombie movie at times, okay. um, but yeah, re- really good production values as well. So, so do you think this because of I mean the first thing I thought of when it came up was a quiet place. Mm. Do you think the reason it's gone uh, to Netflix is because of a quiet place and they didn't it want to release be. something which thematically yeah instead of sort of not making a noise, you're not allowed to look you know sort of like, yeah. it, it does sound that sort of like you know sort of DTV knockoff derivative. Yeah, you know, sort of thing. It's like, oh, we're going to use the same premise, but just change it a little bit, you know. So, um, yeah, no. So well, this one's actually based on a novel, I believe. That's right. Yeah, and we we, right. talk, we talked a little bit because apparently the novel's a lot bleaker than the film as well. So, hopefully, uh, quite bleak. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> that was a bit of a segue. Yeah. Bit, of, bit of an aside there. So, uh, yeah. So that so Siberia is number one. Mm-hmm. That's the DTV chart for this week. It's time for the coming soon section, and this week we've got three trailers to take a peek at, and we're going to kick off with Crossbreed, brackets, This Is War. Um, now, I know we've covered an early trailer of this, but it wasn't as polished as this particular product. Um, it looks like you know the special effects and things have been um, done up a bit more. Um, but it's, you know, it's interesting to see Daniel Baldwin and Viveka uh, Fox in this. Uh, you know, it's. Um, I must admit, I do like the look of it, but there seems to be this sort of um, sort of disconnect between sort of Baldwin scenes and the rest of the film. Yeah, I think they're probably peppered throughout. You know, or, you know, two or three, 
bits where because the, they're like the authority figures instructing the grunts yeah. to go out and do this stuff because we're basically in kind of aliens kind of territory here yeah uh, and they're like in there i mean it, it mm. you even see a shot of daniel baldwin and, and that's sitting on they're like sitting on the council and mm. it's got like, um the, you know secretary of the you know intergalactic federation or whatever the hell it is uh that kind of setup so well, well judging by daniel baldwin's um uniform it's international rescue yeah. <laughs> he's, the, sash, the sash really makes him look like he's from thunderbirds <laughs> uh, and yeah i mean even the whole even so there's the, the costumes and stuff uh, that have that sort of thunderbirds and sort of star trek kind of vibe and you yeah. also get that from the space battles Hmm. scenes as well which made me think of star trek but for the most part it feels like a knockoff of alien and species kind of a combination between the two very the creatures are very hr geiger like uh sort of kind of feminine Hmm. you know creature monsters i'm not i'm not sure if there's one or more but the uh, practical effects look pretty pretty decent i think yeah the practical effects and the cg you know the spaceships and everything i, I think you know they've done a decent job of this you know um so so i th- i expect this to do quite well actually um it yeah it, people who watch the trailer will probably will get a kick out of it and, and when you think about you know this kind of science fiction movie you'd have this is the kind of thing you would have got back in the 90s quite a lot yes that's right. things like space marines and uh stuff like uh, uh things like pm entertainment were doing which daniel baldwin would have could have easily turned up in or michael madsen or something but uh, this is kind of it, it feels weird kind of seeing it now it's like because it's a kind of movie that we're not actually used to getting at the moment we get so much sci-fi but a lot of it is either star trek discovery or, or whatever or or it's a short film or it's a short film or it's something conceptually grander you know bigger it's all it's all about you know the space beam kind of Mm. you know sci-fi movie these days or or the skyline kind of thing um so yeah this is kind of a there's like a throwback quality to it that that i'm quite curious about did you ever see the one which was a it was done like a like a, a a fake documentary and it was about like an alien invasion Oh, I can't remember what it's called. It was, you know, it was, it was really good, as it turned out. You know, it starts off like sort of handheld cameras and stuff. But um, as it develops, you know, there is actually a sort of proper plot. And it is a, it was a huge allegory of, um, you know, the sort of war in Afghanistan and things like that. But it was it was done really, really well. I can't remember what it's called now. I don't know. There's no. <laughs> so many. That kind of disconnect. I don't remember what it was. But yeah, anyway, I don't know, just, you know, that's the sort of thing I usually sort of, we usually sort of come across as the, uh, the found footage angle as well. Yeah. As an aside, Mm -hmm. Monsters Dark Continent, did you ever see that? Was that the sequel? Yeah. I'm not sure if it was DTV or not, but it was, um, it was much lower profile, but they, they went for the kind of Starship Troopers-y kind of soldiers and. That's right, yeah monsters yeah. kind of thing i was always curious about whether that was actually any good but it it didn't seem to it didn't seem to do much no. so nobody really talked about it whereas yeah. obviously the original was uh, was the big hit anyway that's, that's an aside what's next immortal wars resurgence does that mean there was a i don't know if that means there was a immortal wars before this one there is an immortal wars and we're going to talk about it in the washing up oh okay because cool. it's just come out all oh, right <laughs> the, so, um 
This is the second in what I believe is pro proposed to be a trilogy. I'm not sure if they're actually filming the third one yet, right. uh, based on a comic book called The Vanquishers. Oh. And this is all the brainchild of a guy called Joe Lugin. Mm. So he's the creator of the comic book and he's the writer and director of the films. So this is the second in the series, uh, which, like the first film, features Eric Roberts. Wearing a really weird headpiece. Yeah, I think he's supposed to have like a broken neck or something. Yeah, or a broken jaw. So it's like a so it's like a brace. Yeah, it's very strange. Yeah. But um, yeah, so we're in dystopian future sort of um territory here. Um, sort of mutants or called deviants. You know, some people with sort of special powers are being suppressed. Yada yada yada. Um, yeah, it looks okay. I think. Um. Lots of people sort Fine. of running down dark corridors and not knowing how to handle a gun properly, that sort of thing. Quite an ambitious um, sort of superhero movie for basically, it's like an indie, it's like an indie X-Men kind of thing, really. Yes. Um, it seems quite ambitious, so I'm mm. I'm curious about it. I'm not, I'm not overly sold on it, but I'd, uh, I'd you know, Eric Roberts is... When Eric Roberts is in a movie, it kind of tells you what to expect. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I'm not. I, I'm, I don't put my expectations too high. But um, at the same time, that's that actually, sort of that's actually does turn up. Yeah, it's, it's usually enjoyable, but it's usually yeah. ridiculous at the same time. Um, I mean, for every The Dark Knight Return, or the, sorry, The Dark Knight, everything like The Dark Knight that he does, he does about a hundred other movies. Oh yeah, sleep, low budget, yeah. made in you know. Russia and Romania and uh, and of course the United States because uh, he's an incredibly busy guy. <laughs> but he's usually not in the films very much as well. That's the other thing. Yes, that's right. He's usually in for like a day, you know, day or two sh shooting. Um, adds, a, adds a bit of weight to the cast and then disappears yeah. to the next one. He probably does about five films a week. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, moving on to which, what has to be said is the cream of the crop this week. Um, in fact, I was so taken with it, I actually stopped watching the trailer halfway through because, you know, I'm, I just want to see as much of this fresh as I can. Uh, this is called The Man Who Killed Hitler and Then Bigfoot. Well, then is The that, Bigfoot. Uh, is it Then The... Yeah, you're right. Then no, The Bigfoot. The, the Bigfoot, you're right. Okay, so The Man Who Killed Hitler and Then The Bigfoot. Now, um, that's, if, if that sounds like a stupid title, it is. But it stars Sam Elliott, and you know it's it's about him being I don't know it's like son or his grandson finding out all these stories about him or all the stories that he's been telling over the years, which he he started to believe were sort of just tall tales, actually might have been true, um, and yeah I I just love the look of this I absolutely do. Uh, you know, I could watch Sam Elliott all day. Um, anyway, um, it's, it's, it's the main reason I've sat through as much of um, Grace and Frankie as I have uh, with my wife. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, he's he, he's he's great, and he looks, you know, he looks great in this, and the story looks really, really well done. It seems from the title that it should be like an Iron Sky style spoof, hmm. or even or even something like Baba Hotep. But it's not. It's actually really straight-faced and, uh, for the most part, quite serious. Mm. Uh, uh, apart from its more, you know, quirky aspects, it reminded in thematic, in stylistic sort of thematic terms, it reminded me of Big Game, 
the Finnish movie with Samuel L. Jackson and oh yeah, of, yeah 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 and I remember the other, that one with so, the kid yeah yeah sort of, he's on the um, coming of age hunting trip yeah so it's like a yeah. big grand adventure but with like this really sort of strange hmm. sort of concept to it and you know it seems like it should be all played for laughs and actually silly but it's actually a film with real heart yeah. and this one is the same uh, I, Ron Livingston which is, is a guy yeah. who what was he in was he in was it like swingers or something that he was not swingers um or was it swingers I don't know he was in something uh, a, a while back and he was kind of a bit of a not office space that was it oh right yeah, yeah. and he was kind of like indie comedy kind of guy for a bit and we don't see him around very, very much in this one he's playing it very straight it seems hmm. and he's ta- he's narrating it at the beginning and I think he's saying that his his grandfather used to tell him stories about this guy hmm. and and then we kind of cut to him interviewing or, or, you know, speaking to Sam Elliott's character is like, he's the guy that he's tracked down that they were talking about and they wanted to go on this mission. So we to, to go after the Bigfoot, which is all tied in with uh, a, a deadly virus that's going to, that's going to destroy the world and that, but it's all the same. You get, you get Sam Elliott um, kicking ass and he, at 74 years old and, and the uh climbing up the sides of mountains and things <laughs> you know it's and the the trailer is full of quotes of praise like this is not like this is like un, unlike anything you've, you've ever seen before and you know visually spectacular and that so i'd be very surprised if this didn't get a cinema release uh, in some form but it might you know it, it could be, be a, too quirky you know for, for cinema i think it will i think i think it might get like one of these like i was saying before about like kind of uh, the cursory release or the the, yeah. the release that's kind of raises the profile a bit they'll put it in cinemas but vod at the same time or, mm. or vod very shortly after something like that that's how i can see it playing out because sure. uh, this is this is more of a film festivals kind of movie than a than a mainstream cinemas film and i don't think it's uh, it's you know it's not art house enough to be you know put out like a um you know what i'm trying yeah, to say like anyway a, like a so release, I, mean. uh, I th- I'm, I'm very much looking forward to this and uh, and yeah sam elliott is fantastic he, it's funny how he's doing a lot of these films where he's playing these sort of legends now because <laughs> he did the film the hero last year which was kind of one of those self-reflexive movies of right. about an actor who's played heroes mm. uh, heroic characters and western you know cowboys and stuff because that's kind of the identity that he's it, mm. uh, identified with you know Burt Reynolds did it with the last movie star and stuff so but Sam Elliott's just got so much charisma his moustache has got so much charisma <laughs> he's just not the same man without the moustache he's like Tom Selleck you know you take mm. his moustache away and it's like his magic powers have gone or something that's but it, yeah. uh this is Sam Elliott with his moustache fighting people and fighting a Bigfoot fighting Nazis, and killing and killing Hitler. So, you know, yeah, what more could you want? <laughs> yeah. yeah, we'll definitely keep an eye out this, for this one in the near future. Okay, it's time for the beginner's guide. And as um, one of the films we're reviewing this week is Death Race 4 Beyond Anarchy, I'm going to run through the Death Race series to date. Uh, and I'm going to kick off with the, the film that started it all um, back in 1975, Death Race 2000. Um, I used to think this was direct, actually directed by Roger Corman. It wasn't. He, he produced it. It was directed by Paul Bartel. 
Um, he did films like Eating Raoul and um, Lust in the Dust with Divine. And um, he also did another film with um, David Carradine the year after this called Car Quake, uh, which was actually my introduction to David Carradine back in, back in the day. Uh, what was it called? Car Quake. Car Quake? What's that Car all about? Quake. It's it's funny enough. It's another film about um, like an illegal um, car race, but it's set in like present day 1976. Um, and yeah, so David Carradine's character is like one of the the guys likely to win the race, and, and there's various people out to try and sort of scupper his chances to sort of you know increase the betting odds and things like that. It ends with a huge sort of pile up on the on this no. sort of road, and, and you know lots and lots of carnage, lots of people getting killed and stuff. Um, so yeah, so he, you know, turns out he had a, a thing for this sort of material. Um, starred David Carradine, who was straight off uh, the TV series Kung Fu. Um, you know, literally two weeks after finishing Kung Fu, he was on the set of um, Death Race 2000. Um, he, he, you know, because his reasoning was apparently that um, if he didn't get into a film straight away, the likelihood is he'll never get into a film. You know. Um, because back then TV stars didn't make that sort of transition from you know screen to to the cinema to the theatre, it, um, it, it didn't happen quite as often. So so yeah, so David Carradine took on the role of um, Frankenstein uh, in the best racer in this dystopian future of this race, which in this version takes place from the east to west coast. Um, it's, a, it's a various stages along the way, um, and you get points not only by your pole position or your finishing position, but also by the amount of people you manage to kill on the way. You get extra points for old people <laughs> for some reason, um, and as we find out in the film, you know your fans might actually sort of set up a few uh, victims for you along the way. Um, so we have David Carradine. We also have Sylvester Stallone in this film playing Machine Gun Joe. Nice tie-in with the rest of a couple of the other reviews later in the episode. <laughs> exactly. So, so uh, this is quite an early role for him, pre-Rocky. Uh, um, and he, he was like, you know, the, he's the antagonist in this film. There is a really good scene where, um, you know, he's going to kill this this guy then he's going but, but i'm your biggest fan and you go oh oh okay oh you know and he goes yeah it's nice to meet you mr frankenstein <laughs> he sort of realizes that you know he's got the wrong one um <laughs> but yeah so this is quite a subversive film you know as i said it um it focuses on the sports longest long sorry best and long-standing contestant uh he's so-called frankenstein because of all the surgery he's had to endure to keep him alive um he's been in numerous sort of car crashes and things um, other rivals include Calamity Jane, uh, Machine Gun Joe, I said, and um, I can't remember who Martin Cove played in this, but he, he's another one. Um, I remember Martin Cove being in it from yeah, there. Yeah, So, yeah, so, you know, the film was it's a cheap and cheerful driving movie which gained notoriety when it was released on VHS back in the early 80s, where it found a whole new group of fans. Kids love the gratuitous violence and car chases, which was sped up. They sort of undercranked the um, the footage, so it kind of looked like the old um, Batman TV series a little bit. Um, or others got a kick out of its sort of more subversive political message about sort of capitalism and gladiatorial entertainment and things like that. Um, yes, yeah, so Carradine, funny enough, he, he followed this up with Car Quake the uh, sort of the following year, as I said, and then he was involved in another uh, Roger Corman film called Death Sport, 
which um, is no relation to this at all. But, uh, is it not? I always thought no. it was the sequel. Yeah, you'd think, but um, it's it's set in an even more dystopian future, as it will sort of more towards sort of Mad Max Two kind of sort of setting, and he and mm-hmm. he looks completely different in that film as well. You know, beard and mustache and things. So, did we get an official Death Race Two Thousand sequel at that? You know, around that time, or was it no. just a, was it just that movie? It was just that movie. Uh-huh. Um, you know, there were other um, sort of dystopian sort of lethal sports movies like uh, Rollerball, of course, which came out just before this. I think this um, Rollerball came out in 1975. Um, towards the end of 1975, this came out in April 1976. Now, did Roger so, Corman film this very quickly to cash in on Rollerball, or do you think it was made independently, completely, it you know? Was, like it was. Apparently, apparently, this is based on a short story. Um, ah. So, so it, it could have just been one of those quinky dinkies, um, you know. But uh, obviously, it didn't hurt the fact yeah. that there was this sort of big budget uh, film starring James Caan, you know, which which I absolutely love, by the way. Uh, anyway, so that was 1975, sorry, 1976, even um, Death Sport 2000, Death Death Race 2000. Now we jump forward to 2008, and we get Death Race, directed by Paul W. S. Anderson. He of Event Horizon and Resident Evil and Mortal Kombat fame. And mm-hmm. it's a Jason Statham vehicle, um, this one, in which he plays Jensen Ames, a former NASCAR racer wrongly convicted of murdering his wife and sent to a maximum security prison where the warden, played with ice coldness by Joan Allen, has devised the Death Race, a pay-per-view event where inmates take part in a series of races with a prize of freedom awaiting the champion. Now, as the film starts, the warden's previous champion, Frankenstein, um, was getting close to winning, and he, but he was killed during the final race. Unbeknownst to most people, they were able to sort of cover it up. So the warden wants Ames to pretend to be Frankenstein, wear his um, signature mask, and uh, race for the remainder of the series of races. So, so that's the basic setup. I hated this film when it came out. Um, not so much for what it was, but for what it wasn't, because it had dumped all the sort of social commentary and subversive ideas of the original, and and basically um, just remade the Longest Yard, but with car chases instead of American football. Well, exactly. They basically took out uh, there's the whole thing about the whole race is taking her out in the world mm. it's out and about there's regular people spectators and victims and all that so they thought you know what you know what we need to do we need to take away all of that <laughs> and we yeah. need to just isolate the races to a prison island to a prison island where all the races are prisoners so so you know people are going to be less inclined to sort of look at these people as role models for, for you know and try and emulate them but just in case the film opens with this scrawl, this sort of um, caveat, which sort of says something along the lines of all, all this sort of car stunts were done in a safe location with professionals and, you know, do not try and do these things on your own. You know, I thought, oh, God, you know, they, they really, they really shat themselves over this film. You know, it, fe- it feels like it was really done by committee, you know. So you got a feeling that there was a whole phalanx of lawyers present at every sort of like decision that was made. Um, it's it's not you know looking back on it, it's 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 not as bad as I 
you know, I felt at the time of, I do have a grudging liking for it. Um, well, I you, think know, you just have to kind of look at it as yeah, a film completely exactly. divorced from the original concept rather exactly than it, thinking yeah. about it. As... And, and the thing is, the sequels have helped to do that, which I'll get onto in a minute. Mm. But, um, you know, I think the, what, the main thing that really stuck with me, um, other than, so they, they do keep some of the characters. Um, Machine Gun Joe is now played by Tyrese Gibson, who obviously went on to the Fast and Furious um, series after this. Um, I think he was in that first, actually, wasn't he? Was he? I can't remember. Wasn't, wasn't Too Fast, Too Furious, like in the early 2000s? Possibly. Uh, who cares? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, Robin Shu um, turns up in this from um, yeah. um, the uh, Mortal Kombat films, of course. Yeah, that was so, a pleasure. Yeah. Um, Ian McShane is just having a laugh in this film. Um, I was kind of annoyed. There's, there's, they use a line... From, well, they, they sort of bastardize a line from Aliens in this, where I think in, in Aliens, uh, sort of, during the sort of like um, the sit down meal bit before they go to the planet, and Ripley finds out that got, um, Bishop's a, an android, and she sort of storms off, and somebody goes, No, oh, I guess she didn't like the cornbread either. And, and he, he, they use that same setup in the film. And I thought, I, Is that a knowing wink? Or do you just hope that nobody noticed that you lifted that from Alien? <laughs> you know. But anyway, so yeah, I think was, he's, um, it could it could go either way, couldn't it? Because you know he's such a he's a big obviously yeah. when he did um, Alien Predator and stuff, he's a big fan of that series anyway. Yeah. In fact, didn't actually there's a tie over, isn't there? Because there's a there's a tie in between the Death Race series and the Alien franchise. Really? At some point, there is something referenced in one of the films. Hmm. Which makes the Death Race. Yeah, they make the Death Race movies a part of the Alien universe. I'll have to look it. I'll have to look it up. But they definitely did do something there because of, you know, Anderson being that way inclined. But anyway, do proceed. Twenty ten. We're now into the Death Race two. Now, um, the title doesn't work for a start because this is a prequel. (laughs) So, (laughs) so it's a sequel kind of prequel. Gone is Jason Statham, as you'd expect, and in his place we've got Luke Goss, um, one of the perennial um, sort of DTV action stars of the 2000s, 2010s, um, who I actually quite like. I mean, he, you know, he, he, he sort of left him, him and his brother split up from Bros back in the day. Um, his brother went into singing um, more in uh, Las Vegas and Luke started a film career, spending a lot of time under prosthetics in films like Hellboy 2 and um, Blade 2 for um, Del Toro. And, you know, he's, he's done quite a few of these sort of DTV sort of action movies as well and sort of now branched into a bit of directing. Um, so Luke Goss plays a, um, a bank robber called Carl Lucas, who works for Sean Bean, and unfortunately, their latest heist goes wrong, and Sean Bean's son gets killed, um, and Lucas gets captured. So um, the what the current warden of the prison has a setup where she's sort of um, televising uh, very lethal sort of MMA fights to um, sort of cable network or whatever, but she's losing ratings and wants to try something else. So she develops this idea of the death race along with uh, Ving Rhames, who's uh, another guy in it. So uh, again, you know, Lucas becomes 
um, quite famous, sort of doing this, or quite prolific at doing it, um, until the final race and um, Sean Bean's character gets his revenge, basically, and it sort of the, in the ensuing chaos. Lucas becomes Frankenstein, sort of disfigured under his mask uh, for the next film. Um, yeah, I, I really enjoyed this. It, it, it looked completely different, uh, you know, because there was there was sunshine and daylight and things going on, and you know, it, it just looked so much better. They did use, I think, I'm pretty sure they used some footage of the races from the previous film and, and sort of re re-edited it um, and added some of their own footage as well. Because obviously they use, you know, they basically use the same vehicles um, for this one. But I, I, I really did like enjoy this, um, you know, and I was able to enjoy it more because it was so far removed from the original material. Yeah, do you think that was a, a tactic that they decided to take, you know, to go the prequel route so that they were mm. sort of freed more from the constraints of what was actually done with that. I think so. Yeah. So, so then they don't have to worry about people going, oh, that wasn't that character played by Jason Statham in the past? Well, no, it's a different one. Um, the trouble is, when we get... So, so anyway, that was directed by Roll Rain, uh, mm. who is um, you know, a really good, solid um, director for DTV work. He, you know, he really knows what he's doing. He can properly film action. Um uh, you know, he, he can do sort of bigger budget stuff as well, especially, you know, he's from uh, the Netherlands and he, he's done a couple of big budget films over there. I think he's um, got another one coming out soon, actually. Yeah, he's, he's, he's got his, he's got his uh, Viking... Um, Red Bad or something, I think it's That's called. right, yeah. Yeah, really looking forward to seeing that. I really did like his previous one he did, which is sort of like, um, it's like a naval battle one. It was about one of their sort of famous naval commanders who then sort of like fell... The Admiral, over. yeah. Yeah, he sort of fell foul of the um, the aristocracy and politics and things. But yeah, that, that was really good. Um, yeah, so moving on to Death Race Inferno, also directed by Roll Rain. This is Death Race 3. Um, again, starring Luke, Go Luke Goss as um, Carl Lucas. Uh, in this one, we got um, uh, Dougray Scott, who's now the owner of the Death Race series, and he's looking to franchise it around the world. And his first port call is South Africa. He's setting up a death race in a sort of a prison out there. And he decides to bring some of his best racers from um, the current prison um, to sort of help boost ratings, you know, so, so it gets off to a good start. So obviously he brings the likes of Lucas and, um, well, Machine Gun Joe's dead, but Robin Chu turns up. Um, Clamsey Jane, who um, was played by Mary Warren off in the original film, um, I think now played by Tanit Phoenix, um, in this series. Um, again, you know, it looks a lot different because now we're up in the desert, you know, the vehicles are different because obviously the sort of the supercharged sort of races they had before wouldn't cut it on this sort of terrain. So yeah, again, really, really good for, um, straight to video stuff, but, um, it also, no, that's the next one. I'm, I'm Am I right? Am I right in recollecting that in the, in this film and the last film, Danny Trejo sort of fills the Ian McShane That's role? That's right, yeah. yeah. So he's now their, their pick guy, um, mm -hmm. basically. Um, the only trouble with this is is that Luke Goss, you know, Lucas is no longer disfigured under his mask. So I, I can't remember. I think, I think they did 
do something. I'm, I'm pretty sure there was a scene at the beginning of the film where he under, undergoes reconstructive that's, surgery. That's right. I think because I started to, I haven't finished it yet, um, but way back when uh, I, I started to watch it and he was left in a pretty bad state in the at the end of hmm. number two, as you would expect. And then they kind of had this bullshit excuse of like, well, yeah. why he's actually completely fine now. <laughs> so, yeah. And that brings us on to Death Race 2050. Um, this is a film that me and Dave Wayne actually covered on a previous episode. Um, so this is from New World Pictures, from uh, Roger Corman. And it stars Manu Bennett. Um, if you're unfamiliar with him, he was in season two of Arrow, um, played Deathstroke in that. And um, he's also in the original series of uh, Spartacus as well. A big um, Australian actor, um, very good as well. So... This is sort of the kind of official sequel to um, Death Race 2000, the one that starred um, David Carradine back in the day. So this also has um, Malcolm McDowell as the sort of the, the supreme leader, basically. It's a weird film. It is shot completely on video. Um, it, so it kind of looks awful. But there's, there's a certain charm to it at the same time. It's very low, low budget. Everything's sort of shot on green screens almost. But there, there's a real sort of charm to it. Um, yeah, Yancy Butler turns up as well. And, and she's oh. actually really good in it. And, and I remember it, watching this. Um, yeah. I don't know if I was on... I've reviewed it as well. But the um, I I didn't think it looked that bad on the... Say, shot on video. I think they took... I mean, they all shot quite low budget anyway. Mm. But what was... What was quite, I mean, it is it's a very humorous film, isn't it? It is. It is. Its tongue is, you know, so far in, up its own cheek, um, and it brings back the sort of the, you know, the political satire. Uh, if you look at the sort of the roadmap, you know, the map of the the the, um, the world as it is, and you have a place called something like a one percent utopia, you know, um, and it is it is very much a product of the Trump era you know it's about as anti-trump as, as you can find a, a film without coming out and saying it is you know it's very much a a country of haves and haves nots and you know this race or the characters trying to sort of redress the balance it's it's really good but you know you, you have to go into it. i i recommend watching the trailer before you watch the film uh because if you, if you don't like the trailer you're not going to like the film well, I think if some people, I mean, th this coming out after, I mean, also put out by, I think it was put out by Universal as well, who, who did the um, the uh, their other Death Race franchise um, of films. The the viewers who might expect this to have been Death Race Four hmm. would have had quite a shock. <laughs> Absolutely, they would have thought, "Oh my God, the production values have gone down the toilet here." You know, it's just so weird. But yeah, if you, if you stick with it, it's one of those films that kind of grows on you. It, it throws everything at the screen, you know, literally. Yeah, um, yeah, it's it's, it's, it's also, very cool. It's another one of those things. Uh, Roger Corman likes to recycle and reuse, hmm. and this includes titles and everything. So he did. Um, a, do you remember he used to do the Blood Fist series with Don the Dragon Wilson? Yes. And then he did one without Don the Dragon Wilson, which was basically, it wasn't even a Blood Fist movie. It was actually a remake of another movie. Right. Uh, but he called it Blood Fist, and he called it Blood Fist 2050. Right. And so <laughs> what he's done is basically used the same the same idea for this one, uh, which uh, is just... So you can have, cool. all, the, you can have all these disparate films, 
sort of set in the same year, basically. <laughs> yeah, basically. So, um, yeah, I thought it was good. Manu Bennett was a lot of fun. I thought in yeah. as as is, is he actually playing Frankenstein in this? Um, the same character. He is. Yes. Well, he's, he's, he's certainly yeah. playing Frankenstein. Yeah. Yeah. So that, yeah, I thought it was really good. And you always pointed out to to me that scene where they were in the uh, where the female characters are in the bar. Mm. And the bar is named after that test of a film. Oh, about yeah. The, the um. The, yeah, oh, I forgot what it's called now myself now. Got it right. Yeah. yeah <laughs> yes, the Bechtel test, basically. Yeah. It's, um, it's, it's uh, named it's after... Bechtel Bar or something. Yeah. So, <laughs> but there's, it, there, is, there is, you know, thought that's gone into the script. It's actually absolutely. quite yeah. smartly written. Mm. You know, it's not just throwaway, which is I, which is what I quite like. I'd say you, you, I agree with you. I think it's very charming. It's probably... I think it's the one I've enjoyed most out of all the ones I've seen, to be honest. Hmm. Yeah, but I, mean, uh, I don't know. I, I like um, the third one. I, I like the fourth one as well, as I'll still ex- explain now. Okay, so let's move on to Death Race 4, Beyond Anarchy. And this one is well named um, because it sort of dumps a lot of what's gone before. Um we're no longer in a conventional prison. Uh, this is sort of more a um, escape from New York situation, where a whole island has been left to, for you know for the convicts to sort of run riot. Basically, there's no guards, there's no walls. You're just sort of kept there on this island. Um, you, when you arrive, you're given a hundred sort of gold coins or silver coins. Um, to use as sort of, you know to barter for various things, but what usually happens is as soon as you arrive on the the island, there's somebody there waiting to, to you know steal the money off you at gunpoint basically, uh, and these people work for Frankenstein, funny enough, who runs the island with an iron fist, and he also um, he oversees the death race, which the government wants to shut down, but they can't because it's, it's run on this particular island. So they send. So where in... does this fit? Sorry, in in well, exactly. so is this following on from number three or is it following on from number one? I think I think it's I don't know I, I I it's almost like it's an alternative reality, you know it, I I don't know it, it's it's just like a completely new concept for it because we're in kind of it's all like reboot it's either a soft reboot or a hard reboot because we've we've not got Luke Goss anymore. We've not got Luke Goss. Um, Instead, we've got. Remind me his name again. I told you, is it's it, so forgettable. Is it Zach McGowan? Zach McGowan. Okay. Um, I actually do like Zach McGowan, but his name is so forgettable. <laughs> I keep forgetting his damn name every five seconds. <laughs> I've, I've had to ask Rich, you know, to remind me twice just in the recording <laughs> of what his bloody name is. So Zach McGowan is a, a guy called Connor Gibson. He's an um, ex-special um, ops guy. He's, I don't know, I'm not even sure what he's done, but he's ended up on this island. Um, obviously, Frankenstein is super suspicious straight away. You know, um, this guy seems to be beating up his men and things like this. And, this, well, yeah, you can, you can sort of draw your own conclusions. And he's sort of forced into the death race um, as well. Um, in this one, though, we've got Danny Glover playing Baltimore Bob, um, definitely step, stepping into the um, shoes of Ian McShane and having a whale of a time. You know, this, this is a guy I thought was done and dusted after the um, 
after the Lethal Weapon series, really. I mean, you know, he's, he's turned up in one or two things, like he was in um, the, the theatrical version of Shooter as one of the bad guys, and he, he seemed really stiff and not really enjoying himself in that. Um, but here he's, you know, he, he's alive and he's, he's enjoying what he's doing, you know, and, and having a good time with the character. And I always also, wanted to see there was, a, there was a British science fiction film called Andron that he appeared in, right. along with Alec Baldwin surprisingly enough, um, which was a, uh, I can't remember what name it was. Do you remember, who was the actress who played the bionic woman? She went to America Lindsay to play the bionic Wagner. Oh no, the other one. No, um, the uh, remake. Michelle, Michelle Monaghan? No, Michelle no. something. But yeah, she was, um, it was It was a film starring her and uh, Skin from a band, from the band Skunk and Nancy. Oh right, yeah, yeah. Them, way back. So interesting cast, but yeah, Danny Glover is like, it's, the, it's I think his role is that kind of Hmm. a guy in a room who they cut to every now and again kind of role. Yeah. Uh, so in this one, is he actually, you know, involved with the other characters Absolutely, or do they just sort yeah. of cut? Yeah. And especially they also bring back uh, Frederick Kohler, who I didn't mention earlier, who was in um, the, the Jason Statham um, sort of death race movie, playing a oh, character right. called Lists, um, who's a sort of nervous one who's like, you know, very knowledgeable. He, he had a bit of a run on Bones um, a while ago as well. So in the first so this, series of Bones. So, so this film seems to be tying together uh, more what they were doing with the with the Luke Goss prequels hmm. and what they did with the Jason State. This kind of sits in between the two because we've so you say Danny Glover's in there kind of doing an Ian McShane character, hmm. but we've also got Danny Trejo back again yeah. playing I think his same character from the other two movies. So. Mm-hmm. It's all sort of coalescing a bit more a now. A little bit, but yeah, you know, but obviously, you know, to a certain degree, things have denigrated a lot. You know, um, the, the whole sort of prison system is is gone down the pan. You know, they they basically just created this island, just dump people there, and they sort of help themselves. Um, yeah. So, uh, um, what's his name again? Zach McGowan. Yeah, Zach McGowan. <laughs> this is going to be do the running know, joke do, of the do episode. Know, do, do you know part of the <laughs> problem? Zach McGowan's yeah, name. Yeah. Do you know part of the problem? I'm, I'm looking at IMDb as as we're talking, <laughs> and his name is so far down the credits. It is almost at the bottom of the page. So I'm like scrolling through, go, where is he? he? You know. Anyway, yes. Yeah, so Connor Gibson is, is his character's name. Um, you know, he, he gets invited in, in uh, speech marks to take part in the um, the death race um there's a, there's a female character as well i can't remember her name um gypsy who, who's gypsy. very good could be the gypsy character but um yeah she's she's really good in it as well um because they, they arrive at the same time and these guys try and sort of jump them both and she, she takes them out it's quite funny so um there's also a female um who runs the sort of bar on, on the island and uh, she takes a shining to, to Connor and he takes a shining to her. And so, you know, um, it sort of makes things a, sort of a bit more interesting. But it's, yeah, so you've got, so you got the character Frankenstein who's sort of been the hero of the series so far, but now he's been turned into like Colonel Kurtz. You know? Right. Um, somebody want you know, the, the government wants to take him out and, you know, they're kind of expecting um gibson to do the to do the job for them which is why he's been sent to that island it's um yeah it's it's really interesting and and the the way it ends as well is is a real interesting slant on the on the whole thing 
it, it really is. Um, you know, I've alluded to a, a certain other film in the past. Um, I, I was really surprised with the, with the direction it, it, it took um, at the end. Uh, this is directed by uh, Don Michael Paul, who's um, a director we're very familiar with. Uh, he's done episodes of the Sniper um, film series, uh, among others. Really, really good director, um, and he he handles the action very well in this one as well. Um, How is it as stylistically and budget wise compared to the 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 previous two? It's Universal it's a bit movies. different. It is a bit different um, because you know it it it's more outside kind of thing. You know, there's a lot more. It, it's less set based. It seems to be. Mm-hmm. Because of the island, you know there are buildings and things, uh, and, and things do take place inside. But it's, um, yeah, I, I kind of guess it's sort of a bit cheaper than the others. You know, the, the last one was um, filmed in South Africa, um, so it has, has sort of you know this this epic sort of feel to it. This seems a bit sort of sort of more sort of closed off, but um, yeah, you know, sort of for sort of the, the actual action side of it, it's it's as good as any of the other ones. Do you think is is it setting up a new series? Do you think they're going to be going? You know, is it is does it indicate that they're going to take the story forward? Yeah, uh, I mean, the... there's there's definitely a case of um, sort of hand, you know, passing the torch sort of thing going on here, um, and it will be interesting to see if they do a fifth one in this setting. Um, I, I don't know how much further they could take it. To be quite honest, but um, yeah, it, it'll be interesting. I mean, it'd be interesting if they did it as a series. Actually, yeah, you know, they, they've sort of set set up quite nicely to sort of almost turn it into like a TV series, because it, it, you know, there's so much growth that could happen from 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 the sort of starting point. And how are you going to score it? I'm going to score this a solid seven out of ten. So yeah, overall, I'd, I'd say the, ser- the whole series to date is probably about a 7 out of 10. Our next review is Backtrace. In this one, Matthew Modine stars as a bank robber who's the only survivor of a heist that kind of went wrong. Um, but he's lost his memory after stashing all the loot. Uh, seven years later, he is sprung from prison and given a experimental drug to try and jumpstart his memories and uh, figure out what happened all those years ago. Uh, Rich, over to you. So, you know, there's a certain kind of DTV movie where it's bolstered by the appearance of a, a, a brand name. So... Uh, Bruce Willis has done a lot of this kind of stuff where he's he's sold as like a, a big presence in the movie to but it's a DTV film so it, it makes itself so what we've got here is Sylvester Stallone doing this now uh, in in this one and this is from the same director as Reprisal which only came out two months ago which was the last one that, that the director did with um, Bruce Willis. Hmm. So Frank Grillo was in that as well, didn't he? Frank Grillo was the lead in that one. In this one, so Stallone is not top credited. He played, which is good. He played, which is honest at least. He's playing second fiddle, essentially to uh, a, an unknown, well, an unknown quantity to me, a guy called Ryan Guzman, hmm. who's really not 
you know, he's not a star, uh, as far as I'm concerned. He shouldn't, for my money, he shouldn't have been top billed because the real star of the movie is Matthew Modine, hmm. who gets who gets an and credit. So, which is, you know, it indicates that he's probably not going to be in it that much. Uh, they don't really want to sell the movie on him, but you know he is there. He's kind of a well-known actor, but not a star. Uh, but this is—he's in this movie more than really. Well, he's got more presence than Ryan Guzman, and he's more important to the story. He's the most important character in the film. So that—that that sort of grates on me a bit. Why they put this Ryan Guzman as the lead? Uh, Stallone is in it. He does appear uh, throughout the movie at, at intervals. But he mainly doesn't really turn up until the end. So fans of Stallone will be disappointed by that. But if you see the name Ryan Guzman there on the cover ahead of him, you know what you're going to get. You, you know, the, we, we're not in any way um, being misled here, I don't think. So the film itself, it's it's not good. Uh, it's kind of, uh, a, I would say it was like a procedural tv movie kind of thing but the procedural element is an aside it's stallone is the detective investigating the case but they don't spend that much time with him we're spending most of the time with the with the uh uh, the criminals Mm. who are fortune hunting basically they they break matthew modine's character out of an asylum or or prison facility to uh, jumpstart his, mem- you know, get his memories back to try and find out where the loot is. Uh, these, uh, these millions, and of course, other people are after the money as well. So there's nothing really we haven't seen before. Um, there's some twists along the way, but there's nothing particularly, you know, exciting. I, I was pretty du- bored with it, uh, to be honest. And the, without going into to it too much, the St- Stallone just basically looks like he's bored and hasn't really got anything to do for the most part, which actually becomes quite funny at the end. Cause you kind of jo- laughing at it's like, Oh, there's Stallone standing around staring again. There's, <laughs> it's, a whole bit, there's a whole bit at the end where he's racing to the location and yeah. somebody's left their phone on. So, so he's, he's listening to the dialogue, the, the, the yeah. huge amount of exposition that sort of bad guys sort of throwing around to explain what happened. And, you know, it's, it just seems to take forever, you know, this whole scene of him sort of driving, listening to this phone call, you know, at the same time. And it's this we, whole not being involved thing of having a star who's kind of on the periphery and will then come in at the end. This is what still, uh, not so, um, Bruce Willis probably most famed for it, but Steven Seagal has been doing this a lot for like the last 20 years. Uh, of You know, if I think of something like, uh, I want to know, Nothing particularly comes to mind, but anyway, well, it's TV so, series for what is TV series. Yeah, that's a, that's a good example. And um, the <clears throat> he so he comes in at the end, and basically it's the the star comes in to get the glory at the end. <laughs> so he gets to join in the shootout, which yeah. is taking place at you know the most bland. You know, and uh, how many bullets are in his gun when he, when he starts shooting? It's like how how many bullets have you got in that gun? <laughs> you know. It is a case of like, I don't know. He shoots off about twenty-five rounds before he cheat, before he um, sort of reloads. Absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> um, the other, so we we talked a while back about Nicolas Cage, another good example mm. of this kind of movie. So two one one, probably uh, yeah. the most recent example to, that I would compare this to. 
because Stallone doesn't appear until about nine minutes into the film. Then he's gone again, doesn't really appear again until about the half hour point. There's some more stuff going on. And then basically another half an hour goes, but he's, he's got his partner who's played by Colin Egglesfield, who was in the third vampires film, you know, John Carpenter's vampires, vampires, the turning, which, um, was wasn't the way there were other sequels to the vampires. I thought what vampires? Did you not see the John Bon Jovi one? No. Any good? Oh, yeah. Oh, well, it's quite good fun. You should definitely check it out. I mean, Put the, on our list the, of uh, throwbacks, I think. <laughs> by the time they got to uh, Vampires: The Turning, it was really so. Diff- it, it's it's pretty much unrelated to hmm. to original John Carpenter one, but the. The John Bon Jovi one is very much in the, following the same mould, but John Bon Jovi stepping into, you know, take over from James Woods is quite funny. Uh, but there's this whole kind of team thing going on. Anyway, I'm 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 a side here. So Colin Egglesfield is is the his partner. So whenever there's any sort of going out amongst the characters, kind of mm-hmm. stuff going, including towards the end, it's Colin Egglesfield doing it. Uh, Stallone is standing in front of one of those boards with pictures and and information and bits of string you know that kind of thing oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know that kind of setup um we also get christopher mcdonald in there who's, who's been a he's kind of a well-known character actor has turned up in loads of stuff over the years so it's quite nice to see him again uh as a as a as an fbi guy so the film has say so yeah it's got its twists and and that but the the thing is that the twists are not that exciting and the director in that there's a making of on the DVD where the director compares it to the sixth sense and the usual suspect saying, once you know the twist, you're going to have to, you, you know, you, you want to go back and watch it again. Uh, and it's like, um, no, <laughs> no, I don't. Thank you very much. It's not that interesting. The, the climax of the film is, has this really, um, uh, so you know, like cheesy, uplifting music. Everything's going to be okay, kind yeah. of kind of thing going on. And you know, hey, you're a good guy, and I'm not. You know, you're not such a bad guy, and you know, I'm. I'm. You know, I'm going to uh, look after you, and you know that kind of thing, uh, which is really silly. And then it's got the it's got the clumsiest epilogue since two one one again, because it, it's it's the it's the most awful thing. I mean, you, you, if you ever get a chance to see it, there's that last scene is there's a really awkward transition and a fade to the credits. Mm. It's like they, they almost make a joke, but it's not funny. And then there's like a pause where they don't really know what to do. And then they go, yeah, <laughs> no, I mean, I'm talking about the filmmakers. Cut, yeah. They're kind of going, um, yeah, this, yeah, there's just fade to black. <laughs> cause it's just like, <laughs> they, they should, they could have ended it. They should have ended it a bit earlier than that. Cause it was like, what? I literally had to watch it three times. Cause I couldn't believe it was such a clumsy ending. Um, but uh, so this is directed by Brian A. Miller. As I said, it's not very good. Uh, I, it doesn't. It's probably the first of his films I've actually seen. But uh, I'm not. I'm not I, I, I'd seen House of the Rising Sun, um, which had Batista in it. Funny enough. Oh yeah, that's a drama, isn't it? Yeah, it's more. It's more of a sort of um, sort of thriller drama kind of thing where he, where he's a nightclub bouncer. Um, again, it's it, it's not particularly good. Um, yeah, I haven't seen Reprisal or or Vice or Prince, which are the other ones he did with um, Bruce Willis. Yeah, but um, yeah, he's, he's he's not a director I'm particularly bothered by. I must admit. 
Yeah, so I've been sort of umming and ahhing what do I rate it. I think it's so it's so bland, I think I've got to go for a five because I can't really say it's anything I'd recommend, but, you know, it's not terrible if it was sitting on a telly. But, you know, this is this is real bland TV movie material. This is Channel 5 material, isn't it, basically? Yeah, it's, and it's really – it's it's such a shame to see Stallone in a film that's so mm. low quality, I would say. Yeah. Our next review is Escape Plan 2, Hades, is its original title. Um, okay, so this one sees Sylvester Stallone again as Ray Breslin, just as he was in the previous film. Um, he's now organized his own top-notch security force, um, which, um, you know, sort of riding on the success of uh, escaping that inescapable prison back in the day. Um, but when one of his team members goes missing while on a sort of a separate job, uh, Breslin must return to the hell he wants. No, that's bullshit. I'm reading. I'm reading what's on IMDb, and it's bullshit. IMDb. That is not the plot of the fucking film. Excuse me while I redo this. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Ray Breslin has organised a new uh, top-notch security team, um, and we we see them at the beginning of the film um, get into a. A mission which doesn't particularly go to plan, um, and one of the guys is fired as a result. Um, the main character in this film is played by Xiaomin Huang, um, plays Xu, and we're basically following him. Uh, he's doing a sort of close security job for his sister, um, and basically gets kidnapped and sort of held in this um, inescapable prison called Hades and it's up to Ray Breslin and his team to sort of try and figure out how to get him out. Rich, now th obviously this has been out for a while uh, but we finally got around to seeing it. It's one of those films where we, you know, while it was in the charts we're both sort of going, yeah, you know, yeah, we'll, we'll get around to seeing it at some point. Well, we finally have um, and it disappoints on just about every level, doesn't it? Uh, for the most part, uh, I think it's a bit of a half and half kind of feeling for me i mean i uh, i said a minute ago in our in the backtrace review that stallone doesn't appear until nine minutes in i was actually mistaken there because this is the film he doesn't appear until nine minutes in uh the the first thing that's that's annoying about, about it is you have to sit through over a minute of company logos to get to yeah. the start of the film yeah. uh and 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 then we the action kicks off and okay you, partly you're wondering where's stallone but that i knew going in that Stallone wasn't going to be in it very much, even though mm. he is shown front and center, top build yeah. as the star of the movie. Well, we could tell Sylvester trailer, Stallone we? and when, you know, when, when we when we looked at the trailer back in the day, uh, um, we could tell from that, you know, the footage they were using that he was the guy behind the desk for a lot of the film. Yeah, this is to a certain extent I mean, because of what they've done here. This is probably the most egregious example of the bait and switch kind of thing that they could have that that has been done lately um because you're not getting uh, people people who are tuning in this because they see stallone and batista on the cover or poster you know front and center mm. their names and then all of a sudden you're watching a movie about some chinese guy you've never seen before and a bunch of other characters and you feel like you're watching an episode of like we were saying before like steven seagal's true justice or something yeah or um, killing killing Salazar, where, where actually you're spending time with the Luke Goss character instead of Seagal or something. 
So um, Stallone's running the team. And it's not just that. I mean, just there's so many characters in the movie. They just fill the film with dozens of characters to try and compensate for the fact that Stallone's actually, that they've not, or they didn't want to pay him or, or whatever it was to be in the film that much. So again, we get him as a consistent presence, but he's not in the first part of the film very much. And he only, he only really gets involved again at the end. Again, it's, it's, it's like what you said about back choice, isn't it? It's like, yeah, he, he comes in at the end to sort of to do the hero stuff. We get one nice scene, like half, I think it's like the half hour point, him and Batista have a really good shootout. That's right. It's cool. But then, uh, then he disappears again. Um, It's, it's a weird, it's a weird film because they've taken it into such sci-fi territory this Mm. time. It's, it's not, I mean, the original skate plan was, was sci-fi-ish to a certain level, but not, not really. This one's got blooming, and, you know, robots and yeah. stuff with doing surgery and, and drones and stuff. Do you remember Fortress with Christopher Lambert? Yes. I love that film. And that is basically what this is sort of it's trying to be, yeah. Yeah. And but, but instead throwing like a, a dozen characters at us instead of Christopher Lambert, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Basically, this is like a, it's like a spaceship prison. Mm. <laughs> it's, I don't know. I, mean, I haven't I, seen. You know what? I wish it was a spaceship prison because what they come up with, it, it, they they have this awesome idea because there's a bit where Shu, um, who is our main character in the prison, um, you know, he he convinces one of the cooks to tell him how far it is to the kitchens, you know, because this guy he's blindfolded every time he goes, and he says, sort of "Oh, it's like thirty steps to the print thing," and then the next day he comes and goes, "Actually, today it was sixty steps to the to the kitchens," and so he makes this little mark on the wall. And, yeah. and the floor, and then when he comes back the next day, they're, they're not aligned up, and you realise that the prison is is turning. You know, so the, the layout is changing, which is a great yeah. idea. Except at the end of the film, you find out they're underneath Atlanta. How the fuck has anyone <laughs> built this place? You know, this huge infrastructure underneath. You know where where the, like, the it's like the hive. Through, it <laughs> it's is, like the yeah, hive from Resident it, Evil. It is exactly that. Um, there was a film I saw ages ago. Um, you, you know that film called Animal World, which is on Netflix. Oh yeah, I want to see that. Yeah, well, that's actually a remake of a Japanese film, um, which I've forgotten the name of. But in that, the, the main character, you know, he, he goes through these. You know, he gets in so much debt, he gets indentured, almost like as a, as a slave worker and he, he's basically sent to this under underground bunker where they're building this sort of like james bond style evil you know megalomaniacs um lair and i thought well, that's brilliant you know you're finally actually sort of seeing how one of these places actually gets built you know with slave labor you know these people are sort of like got themselves into so much debt that they're having to sort of work it off you know on this um this huge project which i thought was a great idea but yeah, how the hell did this place get made without anyone finding out? And and in the space of a year as well. Yeah, that's, that's the other thing. That, do you remember? Because, the, do you remember? There's a point where they actually come out of it, like yeah, in a church or something. At the end. Yeah. 
in a church in like a really really old building yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's like it, so the church has probably been there for you know what hundreds of years thousands of years he's sitting, sitting at mass and all of you know you can hear all these sort of huge um you know earth excavating machinery going on under your feet and what the hell is going on down there it's now, like the cross rail exactly how would they get the lift <laughs> shaft and everything in that's absolutely ridiculous but it's you like know, yeah so. like you're saying with it moving it's like imagine under your city the cross rail mm. project was building basically you remember the film cube yeah yeah exactly like the prison the prison from cube mm. <laughs> they, they built that underneath your city without you noticing it <laughs> yeah you, usually they'll build that first then cover it up and then build the city on top and not not the other way around yeah like so Stephen is or something yeah exactly yeah milton Keynes. but um <laughs> that's the you know it's just it's just another example of just the ham-fistedness of, of the, the way this has been done well the um, other thing is the plot is i mean as you would usually expect for action movies in general the plot is nonsense it's sort of silly but you know there's a MacGuffin. They, they're trying to get to his shoe's cousin who's an who came up with this concept or you know weapon or thing that can be weaponized and he doesn't want to give it up and they're torturing him to try and get the information and and that it's just a MacGuffin for some sort of thing that could bring an end to the world and stuff. It's like yeah. way too grand, way too grand. And uh, the there's just lots and lots of stuff happening. And some of it is good. Uh, I thought some of it goes, but we have to address the fight scenes. God, yeah, they, they were awful, you know, literally. Uh, and this is another one of those situations where you know if if you look through the murk and the um you know a, the adhd style editing, you can see there's talent there can't there's you? talent there i mean the, the main character as i said you know this this character called shu um he's he, he's he's pretty decent as it goes you know he could carry the film on his own if if they'd if they'd sort of done this properly but the, whoever filmed, whoever set the camera up was way too close to the action. So you're only getting like, you know, the torso of the of what's happening. And then whoever edited it butchered everything, you know. It's, it's like, uh, it's kind of like I was saying about um, the crimes of Grindelwald when we did it on TSL. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. Who on earth saw this footage and went, yeah, that's exactly what we want. We, we, you know, we just want to sort of piss off the audience as much as possible. Yeah, um, it's dark, it's dark and sh I mean, they they turn on the shakiness. Yeah, but oh, they do the shaky cam. Yeah. Even when they're just sort of running around or whatever, they, there's this whole annoying shaky cam going on, and the action is in, incomprehensible. So it's like you know the Michael Bay kind of thing oh. of just putting loads of stuff and then not shooting it very well and just like really infuriating. Mm. And the annoying thing is, it's actually a well-made film. Yeah. Apart from the action, I mean, for me, in terms of a DTV movie, this looks great. I mean, the cinema, you know, the, the style of the film, the colours and everything is so, uh, I almost, was, I don't know if it was HD it, yeah. that I watched them. But exactly, yeah, because really, really I watched it on, um, was it Netflix? Uh, yeah, and it was in HD and, you know, the, the quality of the picture was really, really good. It's a handsome looking film. It was put into some cinemas and you can completely understand why it would suit a cinema. It looks, I mean, apart from the, uh, the prison scenes, which are basically shot in a in a big dark warehouse with a couple of shiny lights on the side or something. The some of the some of the rooms and stuff that they're in, uh, you know, the, the vibrant greens and stuff. It's all, this like Tony Scott kind of stuff. 
yeah, yeah i was absolutely. really impressed by it and that that's what made the rest of it so much more you know disappointing oh, really that's why i'm kind of half and half because i really overall i did really enjoy it but it was mainly because of that that visual style that the film has yeah i mean there's you know there's a sort of red herring slash twist halfway through the film which is um very obvious i think i could yeah, but I could have to say I don't think the plot holds any water at all. Here. <laughs> I couldn't really, yeah. I couldn't really figure it out. It was like, well, surely this has been. It's a bit where one of the characters. This would be more in place for much a longer period. It would take a lot. Yeah. You'd need a much longer end game than to just say, oh yes, such and such happened yeah. uh, a, a few months ago, and now this is now this there is was, happening. There was a whole bit where. One of the one of the characters, one of Breslin's team, is in a car chase, and he gets chased into a warehouse and trapped. Yeah. And I couldn't tell whether or not he was the bad guy or the good guy in that car chase. I couldn't understand who would actually been trapped, and or why the car chase happened. Yeah. And, well, that's and, a, that's a good. I've, how, I've written down how this. he ended up in prison afterwards. <laughs> well, they were basically trying to capture them all, weren't they? And in, in almost like a commando-ish kind of mm. fashion, except instead of killing them, they were capturing them. But for for what reason, <laughs> we don't really know. Um, but yeah, I've got a, this random car chase that was thrown in. Mm. It just happens out of nowhere. There's no context. It's just all of a sudden there's a car chase, and then it's over. They literally only filmed the car chase to film a car chase. It serves no other function than that. But apart from that, you know, I did think it was a, a nicely shot car chase. <laughs> I did like it. I liked the cars. And I, th- I thought, well, you know, that's, this brings some production value and, and stuff to the film. I liked it a lot. But it was it was the most unnecessary scene, really. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's, all, it's all padding. This film is just padded with so much stuff to overcompensate for the lack yeah. of the presence well, of the talk, main star. Talk about, talk about padding. I mean, Jason, uh, so Dave Bautista's scenes in this, uh, you know, other than... That, that decent bit where he's behind the bar when he meets um, Salone's character. Mm. And when he turns up at the prison at the end, you know, great stuff. But in between that, we just got shots of Batista walking around on the phone, not even talking, just listening on the phone or, um, you know, tapping away at a keyboard. And it's just like, you don't need these scenes at all. You know, there's nothing here, you know, apart from, Batista, you know, getting to try out his pimp wardrobe, basically. <laughs> so, <laughs> so my wife turned around and goes, oh, my God, he's dressed like a pimp. Yeah, this sort of very tight um, sort of waistcoats. Black, and well, yeah, and black, black jumper and things like this on his shades. It's like, it was really funny. But, um, yeah, he doesn't he, he doesn't need the exposure, you know. Um, as an aside, actually, um, I, got, I got hold of the Blu-ray for Hotel Artemis. Oh yeah, um, I really and and thoroughly enjoyed that. So yeah, it's um, definitely worth a check. I mean, it's, it's not a DTV film, obviously, but um, yeah, Batista's really good in that. Jodie Foster's really good in that. Um, Jeff Goldblum's only in it for like a split second, but oh, really? it, it's um, yeah, it's it's a good sort of you know, sort of one location style film. It's, it's good fun. As an so as we're talking about this as an aside, it, it, is it kind of a, a smoking aces kind of thing, like a collection of crazy characters? A little bit, yeah. Not not too many crazy characters. There's, um, mm-hmm. There there are some good character, you know, some interesting scenes in there. Um, what's her name? Sophie Butel. Oh yeah, Butel. Um, very very good in this as well. Anyway, so going back, back to Escape Plan Two. So this is so this is like it's it's a weird kind of sequel because it's more like Fortress Two than than I mean more Fortress Two than Fortress One. 
So, but it's not set in space, which it should be really, because if they're going this far, hmm. they might as well they might as well have put it in space rather than rather than under the under a, a city um, in you know a regular city. It's it's really strange. Um, Stallone's not in it enough. When he does turn up, he, you know, it's like oh he's getting involved. Oh yeah. no, there's going to be a scene where they all pile on him and he gets beaten up and then he's off screen for another ten minutes or whatever. And there's all that. Uh, Stephen C. Miller. This is the first film of his that I've seen. Uh, he he previously directed Batista in Marauders. Uh, and partly, if, if you haven't seen the aggression scale, which I hear is like Home Alone with much more violence. It's it's you know okay that's the sort of the the sort of the glib version of it. Um, mm. Yeah, it, it's nothing like Home Alone. It really is. No. It just happens to be you know a kid as the main character. But it is it is a blackly funny, you know, blackly um, comical film. I will um, try and check it out. Yeah, I think it's on par. I, I, I really liked it. Anyway, so what I, wanted to say, what, what I wanted to say is, before I get to that, is Backtrace was directed by Brian A. Miller. Hmm. This is directed by Stephen C. Miller. Both very similar kinds of movies, and they both directed three of these, not really a Bruce Willis movie, Bruce Willis movies. Hmm. They are not related. Hmm. <laughs> I, I thought they must be brothers. But they're not. Come, they're, they're, come it's, it's, they, Paul B. Miller at some point, I think. <laughs> yeah, they just have very similar names. Uh, so that's just a, a little mm. side. Yeah. How, uh, in terms of sort of the move, the moving from the, the thematic changes that happened between the first one and the second one, the other thing that came to mind was Undisputed. Do you remember the first? Because yeah. being yeah. a prison, the way the first one was set up as like this drama with Bing Rames and Wesley Snipes, and then the second one, it was. It's a full-on martial arts movie. <laughs> kind of, this one's gone. Yeah, what we're going to do is we're going to make it basically a full-on science fiction <laughs> movie prison, which is really strange, and and add the martial arts in as well. So yeah, it's 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 a it's a strange beast, Escape Plan Two, and I'm going to give it a seven because I actually had a lot of fun with it. I'm going to give it a five. Um, yeah, Stephen C. Miller, he, he has done better films. Marauders is is, is pretty decent, even though um, uh, Bruce Willis is just basically standing around for a lot of it um you know but yeah i, I really enjoyed the more orders a lot more bloodthirsty than this as well are his um, other films as stylish as this one you know is, yeah, is marauders stylish yeah yeah and, and batista he, he he actually you know he, he's he's just like in a sort of co-starring role you mm. know he, but he does play a proper character in it rather than you know he's, he's not there to be a brawler or anything like that he, he plays an actual sort of fbi agent um and, and does very well for you know for his his limited appearance. I thought it sort of fits into the film very well. Um, now this was shot back to back with another sequel, another Escape Plan, wasn't it? I yeah, believe. yeah. Which we've different seen different director no... though. Really, Mikel Armstrong, I believe. Right. I, I didn't realise. So we've seen no sign of that one at all yet. No, but it's you know not enough time has passed. I don't think the this one only came out uh, August or something last year. Hmm. So the i expect it will probably be around in in a few months you know if they if they decide to release it that soon and yeah. um, i would say you know a year between the two would probably be a, a natural amount of time i expect a trailer to you know emerge in the next few months at least yeah i do the thought hmm. okay so that was a five from me and a seven from rich Our final review this week is Occupation, uh, set in a small Australian town um, during uh, the festivities. A 
alien invasion kicks off, um, sending people running left, right, and center. And we sort of hone in on a group of survivors as they um, become kind of like rebels, um, sort of jumping in and sort of picking off aliens as they can and uh, trying to keep one, one step ahead of them. Um, very interesting film, Rich. Uh, sort of elements of um, uh, Red Dawn to this one. I Absolutely. Think. Uh, yeah, definitely. Very, very much sort of like a Red Dawn meets aliens, sort of alien invasion film. Um, how did you find it? I liked it. Uh, the The idea of... So Austra- Australia um, has been doing bigger budget movies lately in the Hollywood style mold. So we had the origin wars turn up uh, last year. I think they also did one called tomorrow when the war begins. I think that was an Australian yeah, one. That was very uh, much a, a um, sort of red dawn clone as well. Was it as well? Yeah. Cause I, I was watching, I've never even seen red dawn, but I'm watching this. And I'm thinking this is red dawn. At least the first part is anyway. But yeah, I just thought they were nailing the cliches and, and the, you know, if they were a stab, you know, the, the aesthetic of the movie and the aerial shots and stuff, you feel like you're watching an American movie, mm. but it's, um, but they're all, you know, it's very much, you know, Australian characters. They did a film called my pet dinosaur, That's which right, was, yeah. which was where they were pretending it was America. So that it was actually, they, you know, it was all American accents and stuff, even though it was actually all made with Australian actors in Australia. This one is, is actually Australian, which is good. And I just thought it was good. The, the characters that they introduce, they introduce them well. They're interesting characters the, the you know, the, mm. the animosities and stuff that are established. You've got Tamura Morrison in there, who was, uh, was he Boba Fett or was he Boba Fett's dad or something like that? Yeah, was, Django Fett. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Django Fett, sorry, Django Fett. And, uh, you know, he's done loads of cool stuff, including, you know, he's very well known. Uh, I'm not sure if he's Australian or from New Zealand originally, but mm. he did like Once Were Warriors and, uh, he's, uh, I think, like Speed Two or something. He, he's done loads of stuff anyway. So he's really good in this. He's really caught sort of like the tough guy character. But the problem, the the problem I had with it as it went on was that it just felt too much like a TV series that's been crammed, you know, like a season yeah, of a TV series yeah. that's been crammed into a movie. So I started out feeling like it was Red Dawn, and then I, and I ended up feeling like it was V. Yeah. <laughs> um, and the and the the other interesting thing about it is that it's not CGI aliens, it's man in suit aliens, mm. which I which I sort of had a, I wasn't quite sure how I felt about it because it looks a bit cheesy uh, with these alien soldiers running around a bit Star Warsy, um, but I kind of liked the fact that they weren't just doing the um, CGI alien spaceships running around shooting people and that was you know there, there were there were troops on the ground kind of thing and yeah. they weren't you know, um, CG alien troops, you know, kind of. So that gave, that was quite interesting. But yeah, the, I like the character developments, the way it all plays out. You've seen it all before. There's nothing groundbreaking here. Um, but I liked it. How about you? I, I did enjoy it. I mean, as you say, it, is, it does sort of feel a bit episodic at times. Um, you know, it sort of jumps forward in time a bit. It does, yeah. Um, there is a sort of weird bit as well, because, you know, they, they do a raid on, on like a alien settlement, and you know there's alien sort of mothers and children there you know they have sort of set up home and this sort of thing and they and it's it's i'm like i don't know how i feel about this now you know and certain characters sort of see it and then just go yeah go back to where you came from sort of thing you know this is our planet and i thought 
Okay. <laughs> and then the other ones are like, they're like feeling, you know, hey, they're just people just like us, yeah, you know, they're, right, yeah. they're in trouble and, and whatnot. And mm. although they've invaded us, mm. you know, and then this all sort of pays off at the end where there's mm. kind of, there's this kind of, kind of handshake moment <laughs> with the, uh, with the, with some of the captured aliens. Mm. And yeah, there's this, there's this whole, if this was about, because, you know, we're talking about, you know, invasion and stuff here. You can't, you know, you, the same with V, you can't escape the Nazi parallels yes. in any of this stuff. So it's kind of sending a weird message, really. It's kind of like, you know, I can, I can understand. So if we strip away the alien stuff and say, okay, these are Nazi, you know, invade, invaders. And yes, you know, you can see that they're just following orders and they're just doing what they, you know, they're just, um, they're people too. They're not all bad. Um, but yeah, then you like, all but, aliens, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but it's like, yeah, but, but at the end of the day, um, they, they are, they are the aggressors in this situation. And, you know, um, it's kind of, I can, I can kind of see what they're trying to go for. It's kind of an interesting theme to develop, but again, I think V already did it. And, uh, you know, with the Robert Englund character and stuff. Yeah. Um, so, let's see if they do a sequel, because, you know, they set themselves up for it, don't they? Well, they are. It's called Rainfall. Oh, that one. Funny Occupation enough, because I was Rainfall. just looking at um, Tamara Morrison's IMDb page, and it sort of says, you know, he's working on Operation Rainfall. I didn't realise that was it. I think it's called Occupation Rainfall. Um, I, I, I might be wrong, uh, but I'm free. I'm free. I, I, unless I've read it uh, incorrectly, but I, th- yeah, right. I think yeah, occupational rainfall, occupational right. rainfall. <laughs> so yeah, so this is another kind of we're trying to set up our own trilogy mm. kind of thing because you know that they're always aiming at this kind of thing to be a trilogy. Yeah. So I, it's a good. It, I'm glad that they've actually got a second film off the ground because it's so frustrating sometimes when you see a film like this and then it goes nowhere. <laughs> well, that's <laughs> um, right. Yeah. Yeah. which I think was the case with Tomorrow When the War Begins because that was supposed to be, I think that was a young adult kind of yeah, series was, yeah. and you know it didn't go anywhere. But I'm definitely interested to check out more Australian films like Origin Wars now that I've seen this because this, this is very good quality. Uh, there's a nice there's some nice John Williams-style touches to the score. Hmm. Um, it, 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 show, it, it shows its budget's limitations very much at the end where it kind of, turns into a bit of a standing around in a cornfield shooting each other kind of thing um and like i say it does feel a bit like an abridged tv series but there's enough really cool stuff in there like tamura morrison's character who reminded me a bit of the guy in the domestics right uh sort of in you know the family man character who's who's gone gone completely nuts and that you could you could kind of see a progression there of his character going that way he also reminded me of john locke from lost yeah. You know, that he, he's that resourceful guy who you've got, you know, who can who can help out, and he's also he's also got this dark side. And that. So, yeah, the um of is uh is an is appropriate for me to give a score at this point. Yeah, or have so. you got more you uh, want to say? Yeah, uh, I'm going to go for a seven out of ten again. I know it's probably the most blandest score I always mm-hmm. give everything, but I I enjoyed it, but I wouldn't necessarily rewatch it. Yeah, and and for that reason, I would give this a six because that's my my scoring. Um, yeah, seven and above is, is something I'd probably have in my collection. But six is um, a very respectable film that I enjoyed. Uh, renting and, um, you know, 
but not one I'd, I'd pick up. But yeah, it's 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 a good it's a good sort of entertaining film. It's one of those ones as well. You know, it's, it's something we've talked at length about about um, the way films tend to be marketed. Um, you know, the sort of DVD covers can be sort of very flights of fancy or flights of fantasy at times. Um, but this one kind of nails that, you know, what, what you see on the cover is is pretty much, you know, what you're actually going to get in the film. You know, it, it can pull off those sort of special effects and big spaceships and all the rest of it. The other thing I want to mention, because I didn't say it before, was like the Michael Bay kind of feeling to the film. Hmm. But it's it's not it's not like they're aping the Michael Bay style, but the the film does have it plays out a bit like a Michael Bay film, but less spectacular uh, and less, you know, less problematic, I'd say, than some of the Michael Bay. You know, it's not got any of, um, there's no like grand patriotism about Australia or anything in, in the film, although, you know, you get, you get some sites of, you know, uh, Sydney, I think, is like um, in, in ruins and, and stuff at times. So there's some Michael Bay elements, but in a much more of a, yeah, I think that's how it ends, isn't it? With them in rounded kind of way. Yeah. yeah, you see what you see what I'm saying here. So it's kind of got that grand kind of mm-hmm. Michael Bay quality, some nice sort of sweeping shots, but not too much. They don't go, they don't over egg the pudding. Okay, continuing with our new feature, the short shot. We're looking at um, a short film this week, and this week it is called Blueprint. Uh, um, directed by Franklin Correa, who's done a few sort of low-budget films, a couple of low-budget features like Manhunt and Lyco, um, and Thug was another one of his. Um, this is a short in which um, he plays a character who's like a courier who has to take a sort of blueprint document to a particular location, but on the way he finds out that um, perhaps he shouldn't have particularly taken this job. Um, Okay, so this was apparently sort of conceptualized as a feature called Extraction Point, um, but apparently it was sort of put on hold. Uh, I know sort of Franklin's had a few in, um, sort of illnesses and, you know, sort of family illnesses going on as well. So he hasn't sort of been able to put as, as much time into his filmmaking as he'd have liked. Um, but even so, this is... I think it is probably the most amateurish thing I've probably reviewed on this podcast. Um, it's shit. It's shit. <laughs> I didn't want to say that, but you're right. It is. I didn't want to say it either, but it is shit. <laughs> this is ridiculously bad. Um, it is literally a guy, you know, what, two two scenes, maybe three scenes put together with some dialogue and exposition. Um, yeah, with like a voiceover seat, blueprint. Yeah, and I, and I can't really sort of see how he was going to sort of like develop this into a feature um, or or anything. So, so you got a guy. So, so the camera work is, you know, he's following his character. Everything's sort of like recorded on, you know, live, shall we say, with this one camera, one guy. He doesn't understand how to keep the camera steady. Oh, um, God. It is, you know, the acting is okay. You know, the, the, the lady was all right, I thought. Everything else, it is, it is, you know, literally guerrilla filmmaking. You know, it's like, well, well, you guys stand over there and I'll walk up to you and, you know, this guy will film me doing it. That's, that's basically 
it you know i'd be surprised if it took longer to film than it took longer to watch you know i'm not sure which, which was, would have taken longer but um a, and a good chunk of the film itself is literally just this blueprint um with the voiceover on the voiceover sort of and you can't tell what the blueprint actually is it's supposed to be a school but you can't tell you know there's there's no real sort of detail there to actually sort of say what it is you're too close to to it there's a Um, watermark on it as well from from wherever from wherever it was saved from as well it looks like it was saved off of a website and it's got like this watermark across it (laughs) um on the one hand you know um on, on the one hand, this is a good example of a guy just picking up a, you know, it's the old thing. Who I think it was like Robert Rodriguez said it or something like that. You know, you want to make a film, get a camera, start filming. You know, it's literally that. It's, it's that sort of can-do attitude. Um, he has done better stuff, I promise you. He has. Um, and, and I was kind of disheartened to see Dan Gregory in this. He's a guy I know on Facebook. Um you know he is a proper actor and he, he's he's had some sort of proper roles in things and you know obviously this is a favor to to franklin he he has a voiceover and then he gets shot and that's basically his role in the film but then yeah it's 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 terrible it really is sorry franklin but it is yeah, the uh, the camera work is shaky mm-hmm. all the time no matter what's happening you know, it's just unapolo- you know, r- ridiculously shaky, badly framed as well. Yeah, there's, you know, there's, it's no, not there's just, no real it's... attempt at sort of block, you know, blocking the shot or anything. Um, the editing as well. There's this sort of, you know, um, the opening sort of music and everything. It just sort of like jarringly stops and then goes into the film. It's, You've got the the, it's the a sound quality. You know? yeah. yeah, it's a rush job. The sound quality is very poor, mm-hmm. uh, and. Also, what's the um, uh, the the sort of one sort of slightly sort of saving grace is that there's a little action scene that Hmm. takes place. It's an action scene that doesn't really go anywhere and it's badly filmed, but a bit like what we were saying about Escape Plan 2, you can see there's talent there in the fighting. Uh, and not necessarily, I don't know necessarily about Franklin, but the other guy, yeah, certainly looked like he was he, he had some you know prowess. Uh, and that was, uh, but it was, uh, you know, it was pretty much here and gone. It didn't really have any weight. The, the story just didn't, you know, develop very well. It, it just, it was, it is what it was set out. Uh, it, it was some bits of scenes of a film that hadn't been, yeah. uh, they hadn't been able to complete, that they kind of said, okay, rather than dump the whole thing, we're going to take these little con- bits and try and put them together, but they're just not put together very well. So unfortunately I felt like it was a waste of six minutes. Yes, I totally agree. Uh, um, unfortunately, um, I'm not even going to be bothering scoring it. I think, I think it's um, pointless. Um, you know, check out the trailer for Lyco. Um, it has some merit to it. This does not, this, you know, this is a filmmaker scratching his ass basically. You can do better than this, Frank. Come on. Okay, it's time for our throwback section. So this is a film which came out before we uh, kicked off the whole DTV Digest. Um, It's available on Amazon Prime. So if you've got Amazon, um, we 
definitely um, think you should uh, take a look at this. It's called Late Phases, um, also known as Night of the Lone Wolf. Uh, this is directed by um, Adrian de Garcia Bogliano and stars Nick Dimitri from Stateland. Is it Stateland he was in? Yes. Yeah, of course so. So uh, in this one, um, he plays uh, Ambrose McKinley, who is a blind Vietnam, Vietnam War veteran um, who's just moved into a um, an old people's home, sort of an estate of old people's homes, um, by his son, who, who thinks he you know shouldn't be living on his own anymore, and he sort of strikes up a nice friendship with his uh, with his neighbour, um, but unfortunately, on that very first night. His neighbour is murdered by a werewolf who comes in. Um, uh, Ambrose quickly realises um, what the um, the threat is, and he spends the next thirty days before the full the next full moon preparing himself as much as possible, trying to figure out who um, is the werewolf and to also sort of make preparations for his next encounter. Um, Rich, you hadn't seen this before this week. How did you get on no. with it? I liked it. The uh, I had this is the second Nick Dimitri performance I've seen. The the first one being Stateland Two, which we talked about. It was either last year or the year before. I'm not sure uh, how long ago it was, but I remember really liking him at that. Yeah. And uh, yeah, in this one, he's like you say, he's the the uh, Vietnam veteran. He's blind, so that's quite interesting. I didn't quite get that at first. I was like, "Why is he not looking at the guy he's talking to?" <laughs> and eventually, I was like, "Ah, okay, uh, yeah, he's blind." So that's quite well. He, you know, it's a very good performance. He, you know, he plays it very convincingly uh, as a blind man. The the setup of the um, I've mentioned it already once earlier. The, this kind of setup of the retirement community being stalked by an evil presence. Uh, again, reminded me of Baba Hotep. Oh yeah. But but this is more like uh, it's more like Gran Torino, the Clint Eastwood movie. Yes. Where he was like the Korean War veteran, uh, uh, you know, really grizzled and grumpy, and you know, not very nice character, not very good to his family, and all that sort of stuff. But he has this sort of redemptive kind of well, not even is it kind of a redemptive act of what he's doing because. The other element that you think of is a bit like John Wick because his dog gets killed and then he sort yeah. of goes on this. Essentially, they don't over, they don't emphasize it too much because a lot of it's uh, underplayed. But you kind of go, is it is he doing this as a revenge thing for the killing of his dog, or is that just sort of an instigating act? And as a soldier, he's sort of kicking into gear. Um, there's lots of humor, you know, sort of the weird thing, sort of little quirky things that are going on. It's, he, for example, he uses the a shovel. Um, that he's been very digging up the, the grave that he wants to put the werewolf in. Yeah. Uh, he's using that as his cane uh, when when his cane gets broken. Uh, the um, the style of the film is quite um, it's a it's a bit it's quite a slow burn kind of movie. I would have said so. Yeah. There's a lot of character development going on. Well, that's uh, it, it? because because it takes place over this period. So so you got this initial shock of what happens, hmm. you know, on on that first night. And then him, really, you know, he, he's he's pretty much so on the ball straight away. He's like, right, it's a fucking werewolf. That means well, he finds the, the tooth, doesn't he? He finds right, the tooth yeah, yeah. The ball straight away. Yeah. So, so so he knows that he's he's got like a month basically, or, or whatever, before the next full moon. So there's, you know, obviously there's there's nothing supernatural going on for a big chunk of the film. 
it's him sort of investigating and making preparations and you know going about his day um obviously you know he can't drive so he has to wait for the bus and this sort of thing um which is quite funny there's these two old women isn't there um sort of really bitchy sort of waspish sort of characters who they they, i I think they didn't like his dog to begin with (laughs) and um you know they're really really bitchy about him and like sort of it was was just quite funny um you got like tom noonan playing the um the priest as well um sort of another sort of uh, well-known character actor um yeah, no, it's it's just really, really well sorted out. The other the other uh, actor I want to mention is Ethan Embry, who turns up as his son Will, because um, yeah. he he he's well, he's currently in Frankie and Grace on on, on Netflix. Uh, as I said, oh. watch that with my buddy wife. <laughs> it's, it's the one thing I have to put up with. Um, but he's 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 in that, and he's also in um, The Devil's Candy, which is a bit more sort of sort of that sort of genre. Uh, and also in my friend's uh, Convergence film as well, he, he was yeah. um, played the bad guy in that. So, and I liked him. I like him in uh, Can't Hardly Wait, and in um, from when he was called Ethan Randall, the uh, the um, killer robot film Evolver, when oh, right. from when he's from his child star sort of teen teen star days. But he? he's he's he still looks very youthful, but you know all his hair's yeah. gone now. <laughs> He's, um, but yeah, so the, the got he was in Dragnet as well. He was one of the characters in the TV series Dragnet. Um, the so the murder mystery element kind of plays out quite nicely because they kind of do a reveal fairly not fairly early, but not like right at the climax of the film. It's kind of like two uh, uh, two thirds through. He you know he kind of has figured. Oh, Larry Fessenden's in it as well. Oh, uh, the, course, yeah. um, so we get the murder mystery element sort of revealing itself and then we move towards the big climax as you would expect and it all plays out really i think it's really good it's kind of got an indie vibe to it a bit like say stateland movies uh i haven't seen stateland one but like stateland two really start stylish Mm. yeah i definitely i was i wasn't sure on it for the first half half an hour ish maybe say because it's kind of a bit of a slow burn but it's Mm. a very intelligently made film uh not uh it's got old a bit like what we were saying about cross and not crossbreed. What we're we talking about the other film with um, occupation. So oh, it's right, not right. so much about CGI here. Yeah, it's yeah. people in creature makeup and stuff, which right, looks yeah. kind of funny. It kind of looks a bit strange. It's sort of another sort of feeling of like a 1980s kind of film. Um, very much, very uh, an American werewolf in London, the howling influence film. Mm. Uh, if, if you know, if you like those films, I think you like this. The the director, um, as I mentioned, Adrian Garcia Bogliano, um, he's a Spanish director. He's done some very good films, uh, Spanish films as well. Um, Here Comes the Devil is is one I really liked. Um, That was was about these two kids who go missing um, on this mountain, and when they come back, they're, they're sort of kind of a bit weird. Uh, Cold Sweat is a really interesting one. Um, really, really strange where these people have been abducted and then um, covered in glycerin, you know, um, oh, yeah. nitroglycerin. They've got to sort of try and get that off them before, you know, without exploding, that sort of thing. Um, but those are the two that I've seen, obviously, in the past. Oh, oh um, Skirtso Diablico. Oh, you can get that in the UK called um, Evil Games. Um, that is very good as well. Really good about a guy who's, you know, he's an accountant for this firm, 
and you know his boss keeps putting him down so eventually he comes up with this idea of kidnapping his boss's daughter and then sort of slowly sort of driving him insane till he has to quit work basically um that that is really good Re- really enjoyed that very nasty film but uh, this is quite sweet compared to some of the films he did in spain to be quite honest um oh. you know was this his first english language film? it was yeah so yeah, so this was put out. Uh, so it was made in 2014. It was put out on DVD by Metronome in 2015. You can still pick that up under the title uh, "Night of the Wolf: Late Phases." Uh, that's uh, that's got like a director's commentary and stuff on it, which would probably be quite interesting. And like like uh, like Mike mentioned, uh, we watched it on Amazon Prime. Yes. Under its original title, "Late Phases." Yeah. Yeah, I, I highly enjoyed it, and I highly recommend it. Yeah, definitely. It's it's one of I know a lot of people missed it when it first came out, um, but yeah, it's it's definitely worth a look. It's the last part of the show, so it's over to Rich for the washing up. Quite a number of films uh, to mention this week. Uh, the summer already out, and some are out very soon. So if anything we mentioned takes your fancy, uh, Google it or something, and you'll, I'm sure you'll find the information. Uh, the first film I want to mention is Andrew Jones's first film of the year. Uh, it's um, he's the Welsh filmmaker who's basically like the Charles Band or, or whatever you want to say, like really prolific low budget filmmaker down here, Robert Rodriguez, whoever. Um, Alcatraz, originally filmed as Alcatraz Island. Uh, so it's a film in, uh, quite ambitious for him. It, it was probably, I don't know for certain if it was shot in Wales, but I'm guessing it probably was. It probably but was, it's supposed yeah. to be essentially an escape from Alcatraz kind of thing, as you might expect. Yep. Apparently based on real events or inspired by <laughs> real events. Okay. They all are. They all, yeah, all, are. Uh, all, all his ones. Uh, but I'm curious to check it out. You know, there's, there's always Werewolves of the SS back. or the Third Reich, whatever it's called. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Uh, next up, uh, this was quite um, talked about a, a while back when it mm-hmm. came out for the OD. Uh, uh, it's called Await Further Instructions. It does look interesting, um, not least because the sort of the family of this sort of xenophobic sort of uh, wankers basically at Christmas time. Um, yeah, it could be interesting. I'm definitely, I definitely want to see it, but I want to, I want to save it till next Christmas because mm. uh, I want to, I want to enjoy that theme. Uh, I was just gutted that I wasn't able to watch it until then. Uh, next up, we've got Black Mirror, which is actually which is not anything to do with the Charlie Brooker Netflix show. It's just an opportunistically titled uh, release of a film from 2012 called uh, Mirror Image, I believe, uh, which features Eric Roberts in a small role. Uh, and uh, by all accounts, it's not very good. That cover just looks generic as fuck, basically. So. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Dave Wayne watched it this week, and uh, he was not—he was not taken with it. Let's mm-hmm. say. Uh, in a similar vein, uh, the horror movie is uh, *Curse of the Witch's Doll*, the love yeah. child of Chucky and Annabelle, apparently, according oh. to Creature Feature Corner. Yeah, well, that's not a good thing, is it? You know, the love child of Chucky and Annabelle is doesn't inspire me with confidence at all. Um, it also might have been, it's not necessarily a note of praise either. It's just something that's that I mean. um, um, Yeah, kids kids in scary movies does absolutely nothing for me at all. Um, so, yeah, pass. A World of Dreams said it was superb, apparently. Oh, <laughs> Gave it four stars. Vote, 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 yeah. Uh, so, yeah, uh, next up, very interested in this next one, but it's only on Blu-ray, so I won't, I won't get a chance to see it um, until it's on VOD or um 
you know, Netflix or something. It's Dave Made a Maze, one we checked out the trailer for quite some time ago. This is an incredibly ambitious, creative um, project. Yeah, um, very, very strange. But yeah, I, I can imagine it being very imaginative and very interesting to watch. Based on the first-person shooter video game, next up, it's Dolph Lundgren in Dead Trigger. Yeah, so I've watched this now. Um, I must admit, I kind of like it. It's not, it's not as good as Resort, it, um, but it, it's in that kind of vein. You know, the zombies need to go to zombie school a bit, some of them. Um, Dolph Lundgren's great in it, I have to say. Um there are some attempts at sort of Starship Troopers kind of humour. You know, um, there's, there's even sort of like um, an advert, like a pr- promotion of sort of join the CSU and all this sort of stuff. Um, but there, there, there was one section which actually did make me laugh out loud. Um, I, th- I thought it was very good. But we'll, we'll talk about this on um, when we actually review it properly. Yeah. Uh, next up, it's Ansel Elgort from Baby Driver in what was originally called Jonathan, uh, but has been released here as Duplicate. Looks awful. Just the, just cover, the cover, I think, the cover does nothing for me at all. I think the cover's trying to send it. If you send, look at the original poster, it's a much more, it's a much different, uh, it's a very different vibe. I think this right. is a sci-fi drama kind of thing, whereas this seems to be selling it as like a uh, a dark Evil thriller. Or stuff thing, like. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, but I do like the cover. I, I think it's quite it's, uh, quite well done um, for what it is. But yeah, it's um, say so yeah, that original poster, Jonathan, just looks so different. It's, it's quite interesting. Uh, next up, the, out on VOD is uh, it's not Bumblebee, it's Hornet. So this is the asylum, right? Yep. It has to be the asylum, you know. <laughs> just when you think they've packed in the idea of doing these, um, you know, the, these knockoff movies. The, the, no, they're coming thick and fast, I think. So, yeah, Hornet obviously cashing in on Bumblebee. Um, Bumblebee, actually really, really good, by the way. Um, I, I watched the trailer of this yesterday, um, and I must admit, part of me wants to actually watch this. It, it's it's a weird. It doesn't know what it wants to be. Is it an alien invasion movie? Is it um, an, uh, an, uh, you know, sentient robot going amok movie? It, it seems to be sort of stuck somewhere between the two. Well, if, if if it's anything like most asylum movies, all the interesting bits are probably in the trailer. Mm. So, but the uh, yeah, they the asylum previously made two Transformers knockoffs Trans- called Transformers. Transformers yeah. So I don't know if this ties in with that or whether it's uh, a standalone. Uh, I think it's probably a standalone. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, I like I, as with all asylum movies, uh, as it, well uh, generally with most asylum movies, I love the poster. I think it just looks really good. Yeah, the uh, I love awesome. the. Yeah. The um the <laughs> the sort of the balls of it basically. Yeah. <laughs> um, next up, we talked about it last week because uh, you'd seen it, but I'm looking forward to checking it out once it arrives on mainstream DVD release. Mm-hmm. Uh, on the I think it's coming out just towards the end of the month. It's Night yeah, Shooters. Around about the 28th, I think. Yeah. So I mean, I got the sort of the, the preview version, which has a different cover basically. So so I got the sort of special edition version which is bare bones there's absolutely nothing on it apart from the movie um which was kind of disappointed with but the film itself is superb i absolutely loved it um as i said it was my second favorite film of last year um yeah so i'm really really interested to sort of see what you think of it when when uh, you get the chance 
Next up, we've got uh, the the third in the Sharpo uh, Lang series. Mm. I think it is, isn't it? Uh, Paradox, which features Tony Jaa in a in a cameo. Basically. It's an extended cameo. You get some good fights in this um, uh, film. Uh, Lewis Coe is, is sort of the main character um, who's gone to um, Thailand to try and find his daughter who's been kidnapped, basically, uh, and he's, he's a sort of uh, police officer from um, Hong Kong. Um, in keeping with the other films, you know, there, there is a sort of, um, I don't know, sort of like a, a sadness to, to the story, you know, um, is a sort of moroseness, but I, I really like the action on this. Um, there's some really good stuff in there. Um, so I'm looking forward to picking this up shortly. Uh, in a similar fighty vein, but very different kind of movie. This is, uh, do you remember a long time ago, we did a review of a film called Bus Driver? Yes, I love yeah. Bus Driver. Yeah. So the 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 lead character, the lead well not character, the lead actor from Bus Driver, Steve Darren, he's got a new film out on VOD, which also features Burt Reynolds in one of his last roles. It's mm. called Shadow Fighter. Oh, it's interesting because because looking at the cover, I thought, oh, is, it, is this another Zach McGowan film? <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, so that gives me a little bit of interest. You know, I, I thought the uh, the Bus Driver film was was really cool. Um, so yeah, maybe give this a look. I'm not overly keen on boxing movies, but there you go. Yeah, I'm not sure. I think it's more of a drama, kind of a setting kids on the right path kind of thing, right. rather than anything too Rocky-ish. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, but because of, uh, but because we enjoy Bus Driver so much, I'm very acute, and I like Burt Reynolds. Uh, that's uh, I'm quite interested to see it, but I'm, I think I'll wait until it's on, you know, free to view on Prime or something. Sure. Uh, next up uh, is the spoof Snake Outer Compton. This, you know, just just the title and looking at the cover, you think, oh, this is going to be the most ridiculous thing ever. But if you've seen the trailer, you'll realise that there is some seriously sly humour at work. Um, and and I got a really good vibe from the trailer. I've, I've been sent the disc um, to watch. So I'll, I'll be uh, taking a look at the, this week. I'll be doing a proper review for the other site, but I'll, I'll report back on this on the next episode. Now, a while back, we had John Travolta in Gotti uh, playing a real-life character. Uh, this time, we've got him playing another real-life character in a film that the Sunday Sport describes as The Wolf of Wall Street on Boats. It's Speed Kills. <laughs> How could it be The Wolf of Wall Street on Boats with only a 15 certificate? <laughs> Obviously, it doesn't go to, to that sort of excess. So this is a, it's, it's about a real guy who um, used to race you know, speedboats. And on the side, he was um, also smuggling some marijuana for uh, one of the sort of drug cartels as well. Made a lot of money doing both, and you know, obviously became notorious both to the criminal underworld and the police forces as well. Um, yeah, I've seen the trailer for this. It's kind of in that vein, as you say. It's you know, it's one of those sort of uh, biopic kind of things. Um, yeah, I don't know. We, we were talking just a minute ago about whether or not to do this back to back with Gotti uh, on a, on an episode in the future. So yeah, we'll, we'll look out for that. We'll, we'll probably will cover this. And the last film I'm going to mention for now uh, is Tales from the Hood Two, which is out on VOD. I don't know if you remember Tales from the Hood way back in like the mid nineties. Uh, so I, this I, got. I remember it, but I never saw it. Um, so is this the same people involved? I believe so. Rusty Cundiff. It's like a horror anthology. Mm-hmm. 
but with but uh, you know uh, black African American uh, themes uh, throughout um, it. Is that Keith David on the cover? It is Keith David on the cover. Yes. And that's the end of the episode. Thank you for listening to the DTV Digest. Let us know your thoughts in the comments and tune in again next time.